This is The Straight Dope, Episode 23, Bridge the Gap. Before we bridge the gap, I'm going to give you a little update. I went over to Frank's house last week, and we filmed a couple of uh, little short episodes that he put up on YouTube, and that was pretty fun. I think that's something that we might start doing more regularly, kind of on the spot. Hey, let's chat about this and try to approach it from different angles or talk about things, the questions that come in and see what we can come up with on the spot. Kind of like this podcast, but with two of us, and we might take sides, argue for or against, um, you know, devil's advocate kind of stuff, not necessarily argue about what we really believe, but different ways of looking at stuff. Because I think that the trend amongst a lot of people who are shooting and teaching and trying to develop better, more forward-thinking techniques or ideas about shooting, they're realizing that you know, it's fun, and we don't have to just dig ourselves deeper into dogma, but we can look at things different way, and it, it's okay to be wrong. That, that's that been a trend of the last couple of weeks that I've noticed on social media. Not not I mean, I think social media is great to argue, and it's great to have agreements and disagreements there. Uh, I have a different personality in real life. I'm probably more outspoken in person uh, but I like to argue on Facebook and Instagram or raise questions that may, uh, you know, have people with various opinions come out and say, this is right or this is wrong. And the idea is just to get people talking. I don't think anybody out there has anything figured out in almost any discipline, especially shooting. So when when I ask questions or post things to you, it's never coming from a, hey, I'm an expert and do what I say. Rather, it's saying, man, there's a lot of unanswered questions that are accepted as fact. Let's go out and test them and see what our results might be. That's pretty fun, and it gives me a lot of really positive and rewarding feedback from people saying that they're better understanding their discipline or their outlet, and it makes them excited to train and positive. And I think that that's the key here is that people are excited and motivated towards positive outlets. And I think that you should be also thinking about positive ways to be excited and want to improve towards something without being trapped into that negative uh, kind of vortex that some people get sucked into. As a coach, it's really important to keep people positive and thinking about how this is fun and how we can make things better. And there's a reason we got into it in the first place and we can't forget all of those reasons because that's what drives our minds to want to improve and to look for various ways to do stuff. So when, when, when I'm asking questions or telling you, hey, you know, this worked for me, but I want you to go out and try it, it doesn't mean I know what I'm talking about necessarily. It means that I've seen some anecdotal evidence. I've tried it. I thought maybe there would be something to benefit from this. And, and, it's cool to hear back from people that try it or say, hey, I tried that or that's not a good idea or so on and so forth. I don't really care if if it works necessarily for anybody because there's value in trying something that doesn't work and keeping that open mind to understand that, that failure is a part of growth and that it's a knowledge and skill expansion. And you say, okay, well, I'm not going to do that again because it didn't work. Or maybe we'll revisit it later when my skill level's higher and I might be able to do that. And that's kind of what Bridge the Gap 
is a theme that I've circled back to a few times relating to the rear bag and your connection to the buttstock of the rifle, but I've circulated back to this point a few times over the last couple of years, and each time I do it, my shooting gets a little bit better, but then I don't spend a lot of time shooting prone. In fact, I only really shoot prone at a competition when there's prone, and I try to do field matches where there's not a lot of prone, so... Uh, most of my shooting is not done prone. I know a lot of people do like to shoot prone, and because it's one of my weaker and underdeveloped areas, I've been kind of going back and taking a look at it because I've got some goals and some interest in doing matches that have some belly shooting in it, and, and I'm trying to understand, you know, wh where can I improve my understanding and performance, especially as a person that's focused largely on off-the-ground supported and unsupported shooting. Um, so bef before we go on and try to make sense of this, you know, this, this, this kind of harangue that I've had here for the last few minutes, I think it's really helpful for anybody pursuing any outlet to think about the positive things that they like about it, not the negatives to think about what they gain personally and not necessarily financially or, or, or any external means, but those internal motivations that really make us psyched. One way to do that is to think about those really pivotal moments where you were just stoked. I asked a while back, like, what, what's your favorite moment shooting at an event or hunting or doing something? And a lot of it was just out with friends, out with their kids, a part of something... Uh, that, that, that introduced them to shooting and thinking about those things and that drive and excitement can really be an anchor point that you reflect back on and think, like, how is this going to benefit things like that? Uh, that? That, I think, helps empower growth and also empowers the direction that things expand into because there's a huge amount of growth in all directions in shooting sports and especially competitions and the development of stages and styles and events is now starting to go in every direction as people explore outlets that are more motivating for their particular interests. I think that's really exciting, but what should drive it is, is fun and community and then some of the other stuff. And I think there's, you know, s some styles got a little bit ahead of all that and see people burning out or just not having the retention that we see. And, and like in the previous episodes where I talked about this WICO league, it's growing exponentially. And I think part of that is because of the community and the fun element being a huge underlying theme. And they've kind of removed some of the stuff that, 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 um, sours that fun and community aspect and skill development aspect for particular outlets where we're seeing hunters and hobbyists come in and see how it's going to benefit their outlets. So anyway, that that's uh, my little coaching advice, um, whether you like it or not. Okay, let's get towards bridging the gap. But before I do, I want to remind you that if you go to riflecraft.com and subscribe, there's added features and it helps the podcast as well as future developments that are coming. I know the store is not 
immediately available on there, and and we're working to fix that. It's probably going to go up this weekend. There's a, a few fixes that are coming to the Riflecraft site, hopefully this weekend or early next week. But you can still access the store if you just Google Riflecraft products, and it'll take you. You could see a couple shirts. There's two more shirts dropping this weekend, and the subscriptions. Um, so. If you know if you're looking for that and you can't find that particular thing, just Google Riflecraft products or Riflecraft store, and and then you can find it kind of using that backdoor method. But the link itself on the website, uh, when we overhauled the system to the new site with those features, it was it was kind of left in the archive. So um, I apologize, but if you're looking for that, do that. And if you're not, um, well, now you know how to find it anyway. Helping that helps a lot because it pushes the development and encourages this whole project as a whole, and it gives you added features for analytics. We're also adding, uh, I'm calling it the Riflecraft subcast, which is an exp- like an addition to this podcast where I talk much more detailed about my observations and experience with specific equipment and techniques that I've been testing personally that you know may or may not be great just to have on a, f- a free open to everyone podcast. And then we're also uh, trying to develop an event where we could do a monthly event online for those folks to analyze an additional kind of shooting challenge monthly. And and right now I'm kind of pursuing, looking for some sponsors that could help support that so that we could have raffles for people that participate every month. And that that's coming hopefully in this next month for subscribers to have uh, additional analytics and metrics and additional podcast and some other things coming down the road, uh, which I think is pretty cool. And we'll always be developing newer, better, more functional ways for you to learn about your shooting and how to improve it. Because I think those data points that we get by entering your targets really do identify your weaknesses. And when you strengthen your weaknesses, your overall shooting performance goes up. So, Bridging the gap, it's a way that you can eke out a little better performance, I think, because I've seen it in my shooting and the results that I'm getting. And the funny thing is, I've been talking about releasing this podcast for a couple days, and today Brian Litz on his uh, Instagram posted one of the images from one of his books about, uh, is it worth raising level of precision on your rifle so he separates half MOA group one MOA group and one and a half MOA group now you know as you know because you've shot the rifle craft drill uh, low precision being 1.5 MOA is probably not what most shooters are doing um, but so you need to consider that with a grain of salt but looking at the range in yards and the data points that he entered it looks to me like the low precision 1.5 MOA people uh, shooting at this target have a 100% hit probability at 100 yards. The 1 MOA has a hit probability of 100% to 200 yards. And the 0.5 MOA has a 100% hit probability to 300 yards. Now, this doesn't translate directly to what we're doing with Riflecraft, because we're shooting four positions to try to simulate an unknown position and what your hit probability might be from that. But I think the takeaway here is that for every half an MOA of an improvement, they're essentially increasing their hit percentage 
100 yards. Now, that may or may not be very valuable to you. These ranges aren't that long. So if you're shooting, um, you know, PRS uh, and the average distance is six or 700 yards, there, there's a fairly profound difference between the one and a half inch group and the 0.5 MOA group. But on the other hand, you know, people aren't really shooting 0.5 MOA from an unknown position. So this I would probably translate to belly shooting. And that's one of the reasons that I've been exploring belly shooting recently in going to these WICO matches. I decided that, I, you know, I think I've only shot three PRS matches and one of my shot a three oh two of my shot three oh eights. One of my shot a twenty six hundred feet per second br. So so I haven't uh, and then no, I've shot four because I did two with a three oh eight, uh, one with a slow br, and then another with a regular br. But the regular br match uh, in Kansas, I broke my trigger, so I couldn't get my shots off, um, and you know that kind of screwed up day one a little bit. Um, so, so hopefully, you know, I'll go and have some fun. But I noticed that, that, you know, about half the stages tend to be prone shooting. And that's a position that I don't shoot a lot in. And because of that, I don't practice spotting my impacts on plate like the people that do a lot of PRS prone shooting. So uh, I've been exploring that. And um, when I do my drills, standing, kneeling, seated, prone, my prone groups are often the biggest. The The accuracy is good, but the precision is lower than standing. My, my best tends to be standing and seated and then kneeling and then prone. So I'm going to rewind a little bit and I'm going to talk about the progression of the use of my bag. I, I've been looking at YouTube and watching good shooters shoot. I've uh, been looking at clips from the AG Cup. Uh, the first year was really good. There was a lot of great shooters. And then since then, the level of shooters has kind of gone down as I think they they kind of screwed up how they filter people into that. But the first year was really interesting. And I, and I screen grabbed most of the footage from that competition. I was looking at how those good shooters mount their rifles, uh, especially in the prone, and then watching other YouTube videos. And... A lot of times you could see shooters put their rifle down and then put the bag under the back and then get behind it. And that sequence it was was kind of what I was doing. Then I heard from Tyler Hughes that he uh, pinches the bag kind of upside the buttstock. And I, and I found that was really interesting because he was kind of squeezing it almost like the way people squeeze the buttstock into the side of the tripod for tripod rear support, and he was doing it like that. I thought, gosh, that's really cool. But because I rock climb, I tend to have like strong overgrip, and so I can kind of overgrip stuff and torque it to the left or right. So I was noticing that I would get left and right shifts because of how hard I was squeezing the bag, and it was difficult for me to be consistent with different levels of stress on the pressure that I was putting with my thumb against the bag. And so I would get good small groups, but they would be a little bit right, a little bit left. And it was really hard for me to center those up all the time. And I'm sure you've seen that doing the rifle craft drills that you'll have a precise group, but it's not accurate like you would like it to be. And if you do three or four iterations of that and then superimpose all of them at your aim point, there's a bigger deviation than you would expect on your point of aim, point of impact. And then I was introduced to this concept of bridging. I don't know 
who showed it to me for the first time. I want to I want to say Kaylin or Phil, uh, but but the idea was um, it, uh, I was noticing that some bipods when you load them really really strongly. You know, if if you watch shooters like especially uh, people that had been trained like in the Marine Corps or something at first, uh, old, older shooters, they'd really load their bipods. So you, you would almost see these stripes in the ground where their bipods slowly just pushed forward in the dirt. And you can see that a lot of times when people are shooting prone. When they get behind it and they load, they load into it, they're kind of pushing the rifle forward, so they're kind of creeping and creeping, and it's making these stripes in the ground. I thought, gosh, you know, that inconsistency in pressure... Uh, depending on the chassis or the or the stock or the bipod or the platform that you're shooting in, uh, if it's uneven in how it's loaded, can potentially have inconsistent shot group placements. And some of that has to do with the chassis. You know, some are better than others at taking torque, and some of it has to do with if, if it's a well built gas gun or if it's a bipod that has influence on all that stuff. But the takeaway here is that. I developed kind of a neutral loading system that had consistent results. And I was doing that neutral loading because I neutral, I, I, I use traditional recoil management, but I think of it more as a neutral, like the amount of pressure that would just start to slide it forward. That was it. And that's what I do standing, kneeling, seated and prone. But Rather than put the buttstock on the bag first and then squeeze the bag up to the elevation, up and down and up and down, like I think a lot of people do to use that as kind of an elevation toggle, when you mount the rifle, if you lift up the buttstock so that the barrel muzzle is kind of pointed down a little bit, and you do, um, I don't want to say a, a push-up position, but, but you kind of arch your back so that you kind of expose you know, your front and, and then... Connect the buttstock so that it's connected to your clavicle and your and your cheek, and then you drop down. You'll attain a, an amount of pressure that kind of just holds it there. Where if you raise your chest up or down or right or left, it essentially has it, it grabs a hold of the buttstock. Then, rather than plopping it onto the bag, you use your torso as that means of support and the rear bag more as a balance stabilizer, right? So that if you lift up your torso, the muscle's going to go down, right? Your, your, your reticle's going to go down. And if you drop your torso lower, your, your reticle's going to go up. And you use the bag more as a way to stabilize where your torso is. And you aim like that. That's what I'm calling bridging. Rather than putting the buttstock on the bag, the weight of the rifle really is kind of connected into your torso as an extension of your torso and you never let that off now i can't really feel superficially on my on the right side of my chest very well so i can't tell how much pressure that is but if i put my bipod on concrete right with just the little rubber pads it doesn't slide forward at first it might slide a little bit but it's always connected to that so that if i come up or down or right or left i'm not pushing it forward and then crawling after the rifle. And I'm not putting the buttstock on a bag and then laying on top of it like some, some shooters do. They'll put the rifle down and then they'll kind of nuzzle their body back till their face gets behind the, the optic. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not doing any of that anymore. I just I, I lift up the buttstock, connect it to my clavicle, 
kind of the way I connect in all my positions. And then I drop my body down till I have a good sight picture. And then I'll slide the bag in just for wobble stabilization. Doing that for me, I've been messing around with it. But today I went out and I made a a little um, story picture on Instagram. Um, And then I, I have another thing to mention about that. But and I shot it 200 yards. And again, like, I, you know, I know how to shoot. I do a lot of positional shooting. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this and trying techniques. But I was able to essentially cut my group in half. Uh, I, now, don't quote me on that exactly because I didn't measure it. And, and I, don't, I don't like to plug it into those measuring, measuring apps because that, you know, it, it, for me, when I'm assessing my shooting, it's, it's you know, you can, if you can visually see a difference, then that's good. But, but you don't want to go down a rabbit hole of over-analyzing. You don't want that paralysis by analysis happening. And that, that's why, you know, guys like Frank and guys like Ryan Kleckner are so valuable because you can overlook at the numbers and forget that people can't really shoot the difference between a lot of the numbers that people argue about, right? So, you, there's a visual improvement in your group size. Like, no shit. Anybody would see that. That's good. Now, I'm not saying that, that you know, you need to compare it to my groups or I need to compare it to Eric Cortina's groups or something like that. All, all I'm saying is that when you find a technique and it reduces your group size and improves your accuracy, like, note it down and then try to repeat it on a subsequent day. You might have a great day. So you might not have a great day tomorrow and if it doesn't repeat itself day in and day out then you need to put a little asterisk there and be like well I'm not sure why because I'm getting better and worse or something but if it's constantly improving and it's repeatable that's something you want to make note of and that's something that I've noticed as a big difference between buttstock on the bag versus connect the buttstock to your chest, to your shoulder, to your clavicle, wherever you put it, keep that constant level of loading and shoot like that. Use the bag for wobble stabilization, not weight support from underneath. To me, for some reason, that resonates very, very strongly and it's very repeatable. And here's the thing, when you're stressed, you can't repeat subtle pressures. Or, or you can, but maybe you can, but it's very hard to repeat those subtle pressures. And I've validated that to myself by doing the pinch technique on the bag. If I'm doing time stress or I'm in a match or I'm you know, doing something, just trying to hurry up and that pressure proprioceptively feels more or less the same. But you have to believe the bullet. And if the bullet is going, you know, it's, it's a great group right? It's always a great group, but that great group's half inch to the right. Then the next day it's a half inch to the left. Then it's back to half inch to the right. Then you have a great day and it's centered up and you're like, oh, this is awesome. And then the next day it's a half inch to the left. It's not your zero changing. It's not the wind fucking you. It's that you're inconsistently applying those inputs and you need to find a better way to, to not have that inconsistent input. And sometimes you need to be able to do that day in and day out. And with bridging, I find that it's much more consistent day in and day out prone. I've been doing that for the last couple of weeks, just going to the range, shooting a dozen shots prone, and then going home. You know, I, I, my fundamentals are pretty good, standing, kneeling, seating. I, there's plenty of things I need to work on. Uh, there's, I'm definitely not 
the best shooter and would never claim to be. I've got plenty of things on my plate that I'm trying to work towards and improve, and prone shooting is one of those things that opens the door to a lot of skills that I've neglected, like what a lot of PRS shooters are doing, which is you know, taking those super stable prone shots and hitting a plate and being able to watch the bullet hit and say, I hit three inches from center at two o'clock. Great, you pull that in. I hit, you know, four inches from center at nine o'clock and pull that in. And those guys are able to do that very, very quickly on pretty small targets and, and adjust their wind calls. And it's something that that I've noticed watching videos and hearing interviews that they're all mentioning the same thing, watching their impacts on plate, watching their impacts on plate. So that's something that I'm like, man, I don't see that a lot. I see the plate move, but I don't see my bullet hit the plate. And I think that's because I'm I'm shooting standing up and I'm shooting kneeling. And and a lot of times I'm doing it with a 11 pound six, five. And, um, even though I can see the plate, you know, I'm not losing the plate on my shot. It's not stable enough where I'm really just seeing that crystal clear sight picture uh, of the bullet hitting the plate. You know, I still kind of read the plate swing, and I know that that's like B-team skill, and the A-team skill sounds like it's seeing the bullet hit the plate. So that's something that I'm working on, trying to raise, you know, myself out of the level that I'm at. And so I'm going to go to a PRS and see, you know, how does that, how does that work under stress, under time, uh, under those, um, those parameters? Cause I'm not exposed to it all that much. And it's fun to see because a lot of those shooters are super, super good at that. So it's cool to watch them shoot and adjust and then hopefully be able to ask them, you know, when the match is over, like, man, I watched you do this. What were you thinking? And see if they were thinking or not thinking. And, and you know, some, some guys are pretty open about what they do and some guys are, are not. You know, that's, that's cool. But it's fun to hear about people doing their thing and, and, and how they, you know, process it psychologically. But bridging the gap, I think that that's something that I see more shooters jump on their, you know, put the, put the buttstock on the bag and then get behind it um, and so it's worth going out and experimenting with that a little bit. Remember, it's new, so you might not be great at it the very first time you shoot it. It might take a little bit of practice just getting it and saying, like, trying to figure out, is this enough pressure? And, and to me, it's the amount of pressure that would cause the rifle to slide forward. That is the maximum forward pressure that you need. Anything more than that, and you're just shoving the rifle forward. And just like squeezing the rifle it's very hard to control the amount of forward pressure consistently that you're applying to a system. So I think that as soon as it starts to move the rifle, that's where you need to stop because that's something that you actually can repeat. You know, I mean, there's, there's different surfaces that may or may not allow for that, but, but you, you get the idea that it's just enough so that your torso can hold the rifle up and then the rifle takes care of everything else. So give it a shot and show me your paper and tell me how it works. I've been proving it to myself that it's a technique worth pursuing and experimenting more with. Uh, you know, prone shooting isn't my favorite, but it's a skill that I want to improve. I don't, you know, want, once I get out and test this, I'll probably go back to positional stuff because to me that's a little bit more interesting. But you don't want to have any big holes in your skill sets and that's a hole in my skill set that I want to improve on. So hopefully uh, that helps you. Now, 
if if you're a prone shooter and this is something that everybody's been doing and I just didn't hear about it, that doesn't surprise me. I don't spend a lot of time like just, you know, scouring random posts and stuff, but it's um something that that has kind of come up and come up and come up and now it's re-come up and so, you know, I've I've forgot my lessons, you know, five or six times in a row and, and this time the light bulb kinda came back on and I thought, man, let me look at YouTube. I looked at YouTube and watched a lot of shooters do that. And I thought, you know what? Um, maybe this is worth mentioning and talking about. I think it'll improve your prone shooting and it could improve other positions as well, because you want to have that consistent input from the back so that you can have the consistent output and bring your point of aim, point of impact together and slowly reduce that because as you can see for every half inch or so of group size reduction that you get you gain about 100 yards of capability so uh, if you're thinking about hunting and that capability that you know I do think that there's a maximum limit that people have based on kill zone size and their rifle craft number we'll talk about that more down the road Uh, I do think that bringing your shot groups smaller and smaller is one of the goals that we should all be striving towards but in conjunction with stress and multiple positions i think that you know those things in balance and being brought towards the center together is kind of leading us towards future opportunities that are exciting so anyway uh go out give it a shot and let me know what you think